Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I'm excited, man. We're finally here at the start of a new season, and it feels so good to be back behind the mic for another season of review. It's been a while. It's been it's so been long. It, I know. Can I? Okay, I'm going to ask. I texted this to you, and I should have asked between the prep, but can I mention what my youngest said? Go for it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're getting, are y'all recording tonight? It's like, yeah. You know, and then next thing you know, she's all like, Daddy, aren't you technically a recapper? It's like, no, we- Not since season re- one of Daredevil. We review- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then my middle kid, like, yeah. got to go on this field trip, and one of the things in the field trip, it was like, make a podcast. I got, like, this QR code where I can go listen to her. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Runs in the family. It it sure does. Well, contrary to the April Fool's episode that we put out, we are, in fact, going to be talking about Moon Knight. Uh, <laughs> every time there's a new season, we always like to kind of reestablish, because we understand this might be some people's first time viewing the show. So, if you've never listened to us before, we're going to have a section with some quick impressions without spoilers, so that if you haven't seen it, that'll be a great place for you to get a taste of what we thought of the episode. From there, we'll jump into the spoiler zone, where we discuss in full detail, and finally wrap up with some listeners listeners first takes so that is going to be what's on the docket for these next six weeks of moon night and for this season we already have um, a lot of great guests lined up and if you follow us on social media you'll already see uh yeba uh twitch streamer is going to join us for episode two yeah so we got a lot of fun stuff in store for this season of moon night and uh, some more stuff yet to be revealed in this episode But before we jump into that, another thing we want to spotlight is something we talked about last week. Uh, We joined the Rob Logan on the Geek Generation podcast to talk about The Batman, and that episode is finally out. So if you haven't listened to it yet, we will link it in the show notes because it is now available for download. Yeah. All right. So, of course, if you download this episode, then you know we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 1 of Moon Knight called The Goldfish Problem. So starting with our pre-spoiler thoughts, Jude, I'll throw to you. What did you think of this episode? Yeah, so in this first episode, I think I know where they're going with it. And it looks like they're going to pull it off. So I'm really hopeful to this is going to take me for a wild ride. It's kind of early to tell, but you can see the groundwork they're laying in. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it, kind of sticking with some of the thoughts that I put out on social media. It's so unsettling and lonely. I think that was the biggest takeaway I had, is they did such great work setting up the Stephen Grant character, and you can't help but feel we've only barely opened the door to where they want to go. So, I'm with you. I, I have some confidence in where it wants to go, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what they're going to be doing these next five weeks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, keeping it quick, we are going to go ahead and move into the spoiler zone. So, like we said, you're going to hear an audio cue, and on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So, the way we're going to handle this is we're going to break this down into the most important topics, starting with this one, Stephen Grant's life. Essentially, this is going to be the section where we discuss all the daily ordinary parts of Stephen Grant's life, or at least the way that he perceives it. So Jude, starting with you, what did you think of this Stephen Grant introduction? I really enjoyed Oscar Isaac's performance, period. Hands down. Yeah, just the way, though, he just had that social awkwardness, you know, and and not like, okay, he he had an accent, but like, but like the full-on social awkwardness and talking to you know the statue that wasn't really a statue the the whole you know you see him at the beginning like he's knows all this stuff and then you just find out he like just works behind the cash register (laughs) you know uh yeah so it's just like that really really sucked me in he has this strange sense of optimism to him like you can tell that as he's still trying to figure it out what it is, because obviously he's got precautions set in place with the ankle restraints, uh, the sand around his bed, the tape on the door. He understands that something's not right. And 
he goes through all these precautions, but I don't think he fully understands yet why people around him see him as so unreliable or lazy or whatever. And despite the world being unkind to him, he still continues to show kindness to everybody. So there's almost this like wholesome, genuine spirit to him that is a good contrast to the unfortunate sides of uh, the life that he's living that he hasn't fully recognized yet. Yeah. Oh, well, you had that part where he was talking about the mistake and leaving off two of the gods. And, you know, his boss was all like, if this is a pitch for you to be a tour guide, you can forget. It. Well, that's just terrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's or, crushing, or, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's crushing, actually. Like, like, it, it, uh, yeah, like it, it's just, but, but the way he did it too, because he was like, he was saying a sentence and he stopped mid sentence. But that was just crushing, you know? Um, so yeah, that was, I loved it. That was, it, it was classic Steven. Classic Steven. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's what I love. That's where it hit me the most in that moment. Because despite Donna being so fed up with him, he still helped her. Like after finding out you've got no room for promotion, he was still offering up that advice because that's genuinely interesting to him. So he's a very sincere person. And the other place that that's felt for me is when he first gets to the museum and he catches that little girl sticking the trash in the pyramid. It is so wonderful, at least to me, that he doesn't like harshly reprimand her. He understands that she's like not being engaged by the things around her. So he takes her to something that he thinks might be a little bit more fascinating to her and corrects the problem without really stunting that fascination within the museum. So I thought that was just another moment of Stephen Grant's kindness. And it's weird, like there's kindness and the social awkwardness. Uh, I'm thinking about, God, what's the other word that I'm looking for? Like, I want to say naive, you know, and because and, I'm I'm thinking about when he first meets Arthur, right? And you have the scabbard, right? And just the way that came across of kind of that like naive, scared. It's it's like he was trying to channel Shaggy from Scooby Doo, <laughs> you know, <Ruh-ro. laughs> just like <laughs> yeah, like and just trying to run the other way, you know, <laughs> like like it it just it just had that kind of vibe or feel to it. That's it. This Moon Knight is the what do they call themselves? The Mystery Van, Mystery Squad, Mystery the Mystery Inc. Gang, Mystery Inc. I think that's what Moon Knight is. Mystery Incorporated. There it is. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I want to circle back. What did you think of the way this show introduced us to the rituals, such as the ankle bracelets, the sand on the ground, and the tape? What was your read on that on the first display? This show is weird because I think I had a different... I've seen it three times now, and I feel like I've had a different feeling each time. So, because like in that first watch, and you, ha- I have my expectations from what I think it's going to be and what the trailer shows. And so I have this idea of like, he clearly knows something's going on and he's trying to prevent himself from doing that. Right. And that was my first thought. And the second and third, I got a much more, he doesn't know. It's like, he doesn't trust himself and he doesn't know what's going on, but it's, it's not like, whereas the first time it's like, I, it's almost like he's a, I thought I took it as he was aware of that happening. And now in the second and third watch, it's like, I don't even think he's aware of what's happening. It's just like this fear factor and I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to try to lock myself up the best I can. You know, another way I think I would describe him, which pairs well with the actions you have just displayed. He is sheepishly confident. I think there's a contrast that lives within those personalities of, well, I should be careful here because we are literally dealing with multiple personalities, but the contradiction of being both sheepish and confident where, yes, he is preparing for something, but he doesn't know quite what it is that he's preparing for. So it's like this catch-all solution that he's come up with. like, And you can see it in examples too, where he is talking to the gold statue man, where he's... He, Let's on, oh yeah, I don't know what to do. So I literally try and stay up as long as I can. Like he has that audio thing that he listens to about like how to keep your mind engaged. And he's playing with the Rubik's Cube. He's reading through an incredible amount of books. He is 
doing everything he can because he has run out of answers. And it's, I think, again, that adds to that loneliness that I was picking up. And it's something to answer what I asked you. It's something that like gets rewarded on multiple viewings because at first it's like, okay, I get it. Here's this, here's this different world we're getting a glimpse into. But as we've seen the whole episode, it, it's not just a glimpse. You're getting a, a lived in world from Steven's perspective. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I honestly couldn't tell. Did he know that it was a person pretending to be a statue or not? I would say yes, because he gave him food. When he first arrives, he's like, oh, I forgot what he called him. He's like, oh, here you go. And he put it in his little hat. And he was very adamant about those people tipping. With the tip. So, yeah. So he's he clearly considers this person a friend, and he's watching out for his well-being. Again, Stephen Grant and his kindness. Uh, and I'll go out one better. I wrote down, I can already see this being a running bit where he continues to speak to this statue man. And then at some pivotal moment, the statue man's going to respond. Oh yeah, I, I think you're right on that, but I, I just feel like I, I couldn't tell. Like there was times where I was like, he doesn't know that's a statue. <laughs> okay, well he gave the pralings. Okay, so he does, but no, it just. And and the only reason why is because like when I think about what he's actually saying, it feels like he's he's opening up and like opening up to this person because there's no response. So it is a statue. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I don't, I'm not saying things that I would say to a person and I feel safe to do so. Cause it's a statue. Like that's, that's what the dialogue made me think. And I can see that too, because it almost makes me wonder how much subconsciously Steven is looking to have those outlets for which he does not expect a response. Because we see him call his mom multiple times, and each time he's leaving a voicemail. So I think he finds comfort in not needing somebody to respond, but still having that place to let go or let out. Well, and I did find it, and, and I found it also interesting because when he leaves that uh, that place and the person in the, the pretended statue, the shot of him walking away, I believe, is where the camera pans down. And you see it in the reflection in the water. Yes. You know? And so, so in that, in that sense, it's like that, that was for me, another clue of like, I'm not sure he believes or knows that that's a person. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to keep a pin on that for sure and see where that ultimately goes as far as Steven's own revelations. You know what? We're going to hit the wrap up episode and they're never going to come back to that statue. <laughs> It's going to be the, the statue to Moon Knight is the beekeeper to WandaVision. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Who is that? Is that? that that's Mephisto. It has to no, be No, we can't do that. We're, we're meeting new people. <laughs> <laughs> They've seen WandaVision. <laughs> so I'm glad you touched on the reflections. I do want to quickly say I appreciate what they're doing with the reflections too. You see it in the shot that you described. You see it again whenever he's walking up to the museum for the first time where the camera's in the water and he walks past and we get the correct view. There's a lot of work with reflection. And since reflection is innate to self and self is what this show is examining, I, I'm, maybe it's not subtle, but I'm in love with it. And it's I will, I'm sure we'll have more to say as we get further into this episode. Yeah, and I wanna, I'm going to, real quick, just shout out, credit friend Daniel. I mean, he something he mentioned, he's like, Mirrors, super important so far. Yeah. <laughs> to go out on that limb with you in the Discord, Leech's first reaction was a gif of a dog walking past a mirror and jumping and then running away. And I think that's the perfect <laughs> summary of this episode. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to see that, make sure you're in our Discord. So yeah, I think that's a good first glance at Stephen Grant. And we can go ahead and move into the next most important topic, which is Arthur Harrow's scales. So this is going to be dealing with our introduction to Arthur and seeing some of the religious fanaticism that we saw in his scenes, as well as his conversations with Stephen later on in the episode. So starting with me, I want to start in that sequence where he has all those believers around him and he is giving his speech about their belief. And to me, I think what hits hard is that at least from this glance at him, it doesn't feel like it's just pure malice. He is speaking as somebody that completely believes this. 
and that he is trying to instill this wisdom about seeking the answer of the scales. And if you're a good person, you continue. If you're a bad person, then you are sacrificed to the Egyptian god. He believes it. And to me, that's, that is such a chilling perspective to come from. And I think Ethan Hawke is bringing it to life in a way that feels it's not over the top. Like it's, it's very soft-spoken, but direct. And you can feel it in that scene. Oh yeah. You know, can I, I want to talk about the opening, but connect it to what you just said. Yeah, go for it. Right. So like I found the opening disturbing first watch that was disturbing to me, you know, Again, the, relig- the the religious fanaticism I think we're going to see a lot of. But when he's walking away with the you know with his cane and and you just have that that ease and that comfort, you know, and we know that glass doesn't bother him. And then to come back what you were saying of just how calm he was. You know that that calming presence and just you know, as a, cause you know, I mean, we, you've seen enough stuff villain, right? But he really, really is convincing. You know, I'm so glad you linked it back to that beginning scene of having the glass smashed and put into his shoes. He walks away, no ounce of pain whatsoever. Whenever he has the trial for the man who is judged by the scales, which I, I'm forgetting, what was the name of the, the Egyptian God that they serve? A-M-M-I-T. Amit? Amit. 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 Okay. Uh, so whenever they were doing the scales for Amit, the relief on his face when that man is deemed good, he mm-hmm. is like, he's almost crying and he goes to hug him and he's like, thank you for being a, a brave person to go first. And on the flip side, when the woman is deemed bad, because it may be something she hasn't done yet, he, he bends down on the ground and you can see there is suffering in his face for what has just happened. Yeah. So. Okay. I could, I wasn't sure how I, how I was reading this was he controlling the crowd or were they just drawn to him? I personally do not have enough information to know yet. It, it is, I can get where you're coming from because it feels like it is a small town for which he is calling the shots because you have the, let's just call them citizens that are gathering around him, following the belief. And then you have the militia that also seems like it is under his control. So it, there's this two senses that I'm picking where what he's doing is not right, where if, if, if we can put the onus on him for taking the life of the woman, what he's doing is not right, but it doesn't feel like there's ill will. It's not like he's like, I'm a, a mustache twirling villain who's going to do this. This is just part of, of their objectives. But on the flip side, like I said, you have the militia for which he also actively orders against Steven. So right. I can go both well, ways. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, is this a, a cult and a cult following? And that's why they're so willing to do what he's asking. Or are we going to see some kind of more mystical mind control because of the, the scales? You know, I'm, I'm curious of, of how that scene's going to, or, or what we're going to find out about, him and his following. And we already know it's a space that the MCU has played in a little bit with Druig and the Eternals. So it's not that far of a stretch to see maybe them re-examining that here. Right. And I mean and that's the other thing is did he drain like her soul? And and what I mean by that is 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 like I don't I don't care the technicality like for soul. <laughs> like like I don't care there. But like did he drain it? Or was this yes. like he's a conduit of some other Amit deity? Who's doing it? So I have two. Does that thoughts. make sense? It does so make that, sense. Like I, yeah. So I'm I'm not sure which one it is yet. One of the notes I wrote is like I can't believe he can perform this ritual in broad daylight and nobody bats an eye. Like that woman died and everybody's like, okay, like they just kept yeah. going with it. Well, look, so she's it, probably going to do something bad. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be enough justification for everybody. You know, and and look, I know so much of the talk about this show going into it is like, this is completely standalone. It has nothing to do with the MCU, but that's part of our job is to find those connections to the larger tapestry. I wonder how much of this will factor into, because I mean, it's it's that 50% nature, right? Of of Thanos snap. We've already seen like the Thanos was right mugs in Hawkeye. We saw the Flag Smashers who appreciated the world before the snap brought everybody back. I wonder how much of 
having gone through that as a population on Earth is allowing this guy to lead people into this belief without necessarily needing the mind control. Right. Yeah. So I'm very curious no, and, on that. And, and that's what I mean. Like, like, it's hard to tell because you have obviously what seems to be supernatural elements, but it's not unreasonable to, to imagine or see, you know, this uh, a theme of religious fanaticism and people willingly participating, you know, in, in this. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because there's another thing of they, they've introduced this thread and I'm curious to see if they're going to pull it all the way through this free will. Cause like, if you're going to have a judgment and, and for him, he was like, he clearly didn't know. Cause he's like, well, it must, like, it must be something you're going to do. So there was a complete trust in, in Amit, something outside of himself that, okay, she died for something she hasn't done yet. So there, there can't be any free will or there is some knowledge or wherever it's coming from of future events. Yeah. Cause we see later on in that discussion he has with Steven when he meets up with him in the museum later where, and I wrote this down because I loved it. He asks, or he kind of phrases their belief with this quote, would you wait to weed a garden till after the roses were dead? And again, hundred percent do not agree with what they're doing, but man, what a great line to encapsulate what they believe. Oh, yeah. Because in that one sentence, you get the distillation of that in such a digestible way. And yeah, like you, it it's removing the, I guess I'll go this way, the responsibility of those lives taken from him and putting it on Amit. And I'm wondering, because in that same scene, he talks to Steven and understands like, it's exhausting, right? The voices that just won't leave and they're constantly with you. I wonder if we'll find out with whatever. And again, I got to be careful here because I understand we're dealing with two facets here. Stephen Grant has the disassociative identity disorder, and there's also something supernatural at play. Mm -hmm. Speaking strictly to the supernatural part, I wonder if we'll see whatever supernatural things that are haunting Stephen had also haunted Arthur at one point. And so maybe that is where the separation of what he's doing and what he's doing in the name of Amit will come into play. Because just to, to hammer that point home, whenever he eventually corners Stephen and is doing the exact same scale judgment that he did to those other two people, they show us the tattoo on his arm, which moves, which is super cool, by the way. They show that happening. And then right before we get the final answer on Steven, the camera pans up and it's just his face and he is concerned and he is like, there is chaos in you. So there's some sort of familiarity, I think, that you can read in his face. And given the actions that he has later on in that scene, which we'll get to later, it makes me feel like he saw something that he knows to be very wary of. Yes. Well, you know what? I wonder, is this going to be... Not fully one-to-one, -one, but it kind of a Agatha Harkness thing. Like, hey, let me... No, no, my idea is terrible. Never mind. <laughs> well, let me, let me go out in the limb with you. And if I, don't, if I don't bridge that gap, we can cut this. Are you talking about like just the level of, here I am, the Agatha Harkness, the Arthur Harrow. I am familiar with what is plaguing you, Wanda and, and Steven, and I'm curious because I know you can't handle it, but I'm not ready to strike yet. Yeah, maybe it's that. Because it, it, what made me backpedal was like, no, because shortly later, he's got a werewolf after him. You know what I mean? Like, Agatha didn't do that right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Agatha's just smarter. She she really waited till the right moment. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so, yeah. They, uh... Very interesting stuff. I and mean, we've, we've just recently did an episode on the Marvel villains. Obviously, way too early to speak one way or the other with Arthur. But I'm, I'm very satisfied with what they've set up here. And uh, Ethan Hawke looks like he's going to be a really great character here in this show. Or Ethan Hawke's portrayal of Arthur Harrow, I should say. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, unless there's any more, I guess we can go ahead and wrap up this important topic and move in to the next one. 
This next one is called Not Quite Right. This section is where we're going to be able to discuss everything that happens from Stephen Grant's perspective that doesn't quite align with the way that he views the world around him. So these are all the scenes where the people that are counting on him are upset because he didn't follow through, the scenes where he wakes up and he is not in his home in London, as well as all the creepiness that starts to pepper in towards the final act. So before I throw to you, Jude, uh, I want to go ahead and set the tone for how we're going to try and handle this, because this is going to start to bring in a lot of the disassociative identity disorder, a lot of the supernatural stuff. We thought it was important to start with this quote from the director of the show, Mohabed Dayab. And he says, quote, I learned a lot, and I think everyone is going to learn a lot through the journey of the show about disassociative identity disorder. But I still would say that as respectful as we are, this is not an accurate depiction of DID. We are in a supernatural world, and sometimes we over-dramatize stuff. And this comes from an interview on Variety.com that we'll be sure to link in the show notes. You know, and I'm really glad that that's something uh, he came out up front and said. Because that was one of my things where I was nervous about it. Because we've mentioned it off and on on our pod that mental health is something important to us, uh, something that I struggle with and I have plenty of people around me that struggle with it. And so it's something that I want to make sure or I get worried about that it's treated with respect on screen. So it doesn't, you know, further any stigmas that may exist. So I'm really glad he came out ahead of time, you know, or along with the release of the first episode. Yes, I'm right there with you. Uh, It's even Oscar Isaac has taken it to heart and he has been reading an account from somebody who has disassociative identity disorder and trying to keep in mind that perspective. So as you said, it is treated with respect. So again, it's important for us to kind of set that tone. We're going to do our best to treat it with respect as well while diving into this show. All that being said, Jude, it is your turn in this most important topic. Where do you want to start in the not quite right section? I'm going to take a minute and just buy into this world, right? And just like, and I can't imagine what that would be like for Steven. This whole, he thought it was Friday. It's Sunday. He missed two days, you know, almost three when you consider, you know, the time of day and and stuff (laughs) like that. And the way he handled it, it was kind of like, it wasn't a what's going on it was like it felt more oh not again and you know and when he was on the phone about missing the date and then asked and so in in that way man you really thrown this this episode and the show really throws you just right in the middle of it uh and then same thing with like when he called i think it was layla or or layla called and he answered and he's like hey i've been trying to get you for three months you know so you also get that sense of like how well, you mentioned the isolation and loneliness, you know, that you give and you add on top of that, that feeling of loss of time and not probably fully understanding or awareness, all, all, maybe that'd be a better way, not rather than understanding, but having an awareness of what day it is. It is such a loose grip on reality that you can't help but have your heart break for them. And, and just to kind of further your point, I mean, you can see it in Donna. And I find it, it's, it's kind of amusing that the actress who plays Donna, Lucy Thackeray, mm-hmm. has come out and tried to establish like, oh, yeah, they have been working for a long time. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been that rude to him. And it almost feels like kind of this, uh, not necessarily course correction, but trying to like make it seem like Donna's not as mean as she comes across in this episode. And what I get from that is you could almost understandably see why people are so short with him, because from their perspective... Steven is an unreliable person. Yeah. But we know what he's going through. And so that's why it doesn't come across that for us. But it is a he is so out of sync with the world that it's 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 hard. It, and I get what you're saying. Like, I can't imagine what that's like to have those two days just gone kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and that's I mean, that's his daily life. And, you know, I could say I'm not, I don't even say this, but I'm. I'm going to say it this way and and maybe something, a different phrasing, but I want to say like, I kind of get a glimpse of that. I think we all do when it's like you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, it's Saturday. Like, oh crap. No, it's Friday. You know? And then you get up and go to work, you know, but that's like a brief moment. And so that's not even close. 
where you were like, oh, what day is it? You know, and you're like, oh, okay. Where this is, you know, well, to the point in the show where he's having to, what, I'm trying to stay awake so I don't lose the track of time. I'm chaining myself to the bed so I don't go anywhere, you know? And, and so those are levels of like adaptation and coping skills that you don't just randomly decide to do. That's something that has happened often. It's a bit <laughs> of a red flag, isn't years. it? What? It's a bit of a red flag, isn't it? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it's hard. And and speaking of going somewhere, as much work as they are sowing of the inability to trust the surroundings, it only adds to the dreamlike nature when he wakes up and he is far from London and he has his jaw dislocated, his teeth are bloody, and he's trying to make sense of everything. And we have that whole entire action sequence where we are following him along on these exploits. And there's something about the way the action is shot. And I don't have enough like technical lingo or actually enough examples to back this up, but there's so many shots where everything is in focus. There's no like distant blur. It is all broad focus. And to me, that adds to that dreamlike feel because you're having what is traditionally shot in darker times or maybe inside buildings or just not as brightly lit contrast with the daytime. And so it just, it, everything about it felt dreamlike to me. Uh, I think you're looking for a sharp focus might be the lingo you're thinking of. Yeah. Or just everything. Well, you know what? It's so funny to me. Like that's one of the things, you know, first tangent of the season. Um, <laughs> this whole new technology of like 4k and, and stuff. I hate the sharp focus. Yeah. There's, it, there's a loss of like this grit, film grain that makes when I rewatch a Marvel movie on my TV, if I don't have all that stuff turned off, it looks that hyper real. Soap opera. Yeah. You know, and like I noticed that when I saw Mandalorian season one. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> and you know and then when I rewatched it and turned all that stuff off and it I was like, oh, this looks like what I'm familiar with. Y- you know? Because it, it just gives it that that too real, that hyper real look. And, and so I know what you mean. Like that sharp, hyper realistic focus where just everything is clear as day. And so like with this, it's that intended effect. Yeah, that, that was a good catch on that style. And I love the way they bounce back and forth, but stay with Steven. And they're able to get across that like something extremely violent happened. And it happened quick. And... Steven's just like, like a second has passed to him. You know, it's like he blinks and what, why am I holding this gun? What, where does this, you know, blood on my hand? Why am I covered in blood? (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. You mentioned that. I think it was, um, Ken and Fran Daniel mentioned something about, he's like, y'all recorded that Spidey and friends (laughs) before you watched Moon Knight, right? It's like, yes, we did. (laughs) We're just psychic. (laughs) What's so funny is the, uh, just if you haven't saw, we put out a April Fool's joke where we straight face, no curtain is just blue revered Spidey and his amazing friends. Cause it's that good. I tried to like step around that joke of like, man, I didn't believe his white suit would be not so white by the end. And you were like, yeah, it was so bloody. (laughs) Just like right through it. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me laugh every time I listen to it. I know. Any of the examples I gave, Saving Private Ryan, of all of them, (laughs) that's the one I go to. Gosh. Oh, man. So... I'm glad we're getting the debrief on that finally, because we actually just put that out today as we're recording this. And so seeing everybody's reaction to it has been so funny. Yeah. Anyway, stepping back into the episode, you know, you talk about the way we always stay with Stephen Grant, even if the personality has shifted and somebody much more capable in an action sense has come in, wreaked havoc, and now Stephen is back. This show is doing a lot of work with horror elements. And they're kind of laying in those creepy elements, the the dark and atmospheric stuff. But what they do here, again, in this broad daylight dreamlike scenario, they take a philosophy of horror storytelling where the great horror movies know that your imagination can conjure something so much more worse 
than they can depict on screen. So playing on the outskirts of just blatantly showing you something and let your mind be afraid of it, they're kind of doing that here with the action sequence. Instead of just like going away and seeing somebody take over and going into this cool fight sequence, we're seeing Steven wake up in the horror of something and we get to visually imagine what has happened, how he got those bloody hands, how he's driving backwards, how he was able to get away from gun a gun point blank. And to me, that that fits in with the whole horror vibe that this episode's playing with. Yeah, it's clever of how you don't really see violence, but it feels violent. Yes. Oh, I love the way you put that. It's so clever. Yeah. It's a great way to kind of get around the Disney Plus PG-13 because yeah. it, it is it is still like shocking, but I bet you it would be a lot harder to pass if we actually got to see how his hands got that bloody. And, you know, linking that philosophy back, it goes back to where we started of this scene. We wake up with Stephen in the middle of nowhere and his jaw is just dislocated. What we're imagining happening to him is far worse than what they could have showed us just by how gruesome it is to wake up with that shocked expression and have to put your jaw back in place. So this show is doing a great job of juxtaposing the harsh realities of the violence with the, I'm going to go on to the slim wholesomeness of Stephen Grant as he's trying to catch <laughs> up with a world that he cannot keep up with. Yeah. And that jaw was gruesome, dude. Dude, that might it be up there in gruesome. One of the most gruesome things in the MCU. And that's even taken into account the Wanda vision, vision missing part of his head. scene. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, going back to that scene, that is where we get one of our first glimpse of a disembodied voice speaking very harshly to Stephen. What do you think of the voice? Are you setting me up? How am I setting you up? So, I wasn't a fan of the voice. Neither was I! Okay, good. I thought you were like calling me <laughs> We're on me the out. same page! <laughs> okay. Okay. And here's, and here's why. I just, and I was talking to my friend Sean about this, uh, not... Caption Life, Sean, Sean, I work with, uh, what is it now? Family Daniel, Friend Daniel, Working work Sean, Sean, and Work Sean, and Caption Sean. Um, so, and I, I don't know if it was my expectations, right? Because like I'm going into it thinking, dude, I can't wait. I'm going to see something I've never seen before. And I'm like, oh, I've watched Venom. <laughs> okay, this is where I'm getting off the train with you. <laughs> and so, and so it's like, um, yeah, I just, it, it, it's, it was disappointing in that sense. Now, don't get me wrong. Oscar Isaac killed it, right? The way he was genuinely like struggling and walking away and torn. Like I thought it was great, but the voice and the, the interaction, it was just like, at that point, it reminded me of watching Venom and it was such a like tense moment. Because uh, also, I was just surprised that the two of them were already face-to-face -face this early on in the show. 100%. Arthur, you mean? Yeah. And I was felt very confused. For, like, like visually, musically, all of this stuff. I'm like, you're telling me I should be... It, it's a tense moment. But the, the, the way the dialogue and the way Oscar Isaac was going, like I felt like you were also playing it for laughs. Um, and maybe that was part of the intention where like, I genuinely felt confused of like, am I supposed to be finding this funny? Am I supposed to be scared for him? Like, like I wasn't sure where I was, should be at, you know, go back to sleep worm. Yeah. You know? And so, and so like, that's where, and, and again, I don't know if it's an expectation thing and I thought, oh, I've seen this or, or what, but yeah, like it reminded me of Venom. I can see that. You know, I was joking about getting off the train with you. I can totally see that because it is not that far off from what we see in Venom whenever Eddie Brock is like going through the famous lobster scene in the fish tank. Yeah. Where it falls for me is there's something about the voice that doesn't feel finished. It feels like a temporary thing that's not mixed into the episode well enough. Like, again, it's supposed to be this thing that only Steven hears. So it needs to feel disembodied it needs to feel otherworldly it's just not working for me at this point there is some i don't even want to call it a saving grace but there is a little nod that i like that happened pretty quickly 
and I'm not 100% sure this is the case, but once Steven wakes up, quote unquote, from this action event, and he's back in his apartment going through his routine, they have the TV on, and there's a documentary, and there's a narrator, and that narrator sounds a lot like the voice he heard. I don't think we're going to be like, oh, that's what he just dreamed up, but that is what they're trying to convey. So I appreciated what they're doing there, voice-wise, but overall, I'm still very iffy on the voice. Right. That's just the sound of it. I do like the disdain that it has for Steven. I made the joke about, like, go back to Sleepworm. Parasite. The other one that got me is like, oh, great. The idiot's back in control. <laughs> right. <laughs> My daily affirmation. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> uh, stop that with the daily affirmation. But no. So I have one thing here that I, that, to go on top of my issue with the voice. Okay. My other biggest issue after the first watch, and I didn't quite put it together until this third watch was my same general fear with the other shows, right? Like, Oh, this is six episodes. It's going to be seven or eight. I'm surprised they gave us the suit already in the first episode. And I know that we saw it in the trailer, right? And there's a lot of stuff from the trailer here, but I was just surprised, you know, it was like, wow, how much stuff they did in episode one. Like they, it's almost felt like they sped us up through getting to know these characters and they gave us too much. And so that made me really worried. Third watch though, what I realized was how there was, it felt like there's multiple endings and like, and I marked it 21 minutes. He wakes up out of the cupcake truck fight and it felt like an ending, you know? And I remember pausing it the first watch and being like, Oh, we got a lot more to go. But then you have the, the, what the fish. And it's like, and in the, the third watch I was like, no, you could have ended it there. It felt like a natural ending because you don't know what just happened. And then it kept going. And so it, it but I think it, it helped me feel what Steven's feeling and that, because I imagine it has to be the same thing that start and stop nature. And you never know when something ends and when something begins, you know? And, and, and so now on that third watch, when I think of it, I think, of, I think if that's what they're trying to do, they did it well. And it's super clever. Cause like, Oh, it's over. Oh, wait, no. Oh, okay. No, you know? And, and so, yeah, so I, 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 I do appreciate that a lot more in the third watch. Yeah, they've so wonderfully captured that disorienting feeling. And again, speaking with that waking up moment, th as much work as they're doing with reflections, one of the first shots they give us back in his apartment when he has that moment of not knowing where he's at, it is framed in a way where you see multiple, almost fractured reflections of Steven. So again, Great visual storytelling. They're working within that sense of self. They're keeping us disoriented. And it breaks the moment with the look of relief on Steven's face when he's like, oh my God, it was just a dream. And the music comes in every day I wake up. And then it just continues on with his routine until it gets to that what the fish moment. And so you're like, yeah, I can see where it's that start and stop feel. Um, yeah, it's it's... We're about to transition, and I'll go ahead and say this before we get there. There is something that I, I left that first impression of like, okay, the, the, the moment they built up to is everything they've been anchoring the marketing on. The big suit-up moment, the big beating the werewolf kind of moment thing. So there was a bit of that like, okay, wow, we got a lot in that first episode. The thing that I got out of the third watch is the rewards to continuity if that makes sense within the story they're telling so for example i didn't catch it on the first watch but whenever he goes back to look at my fish the fin grew back is this possible and the clerk's like you said this yesterday and at mm -hmm. first i just took that as like okay disorienting but then on the the next watch it's like oh who's ever else in charge of these personalities is trying to keep this other life from him. They are trying to put things back the way they were so that everything can keep going with Steven believing that he's living this continuous life. So yeah. 
I, I, to put a, a final bow on my thoughts here, and I think kind of in the same place as you, it is very much a show that it rewards multiple viewings. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Hey, one hundred percent on that. Yeah. Was that a reference to Nemo? And it had to be because she straight up says your Nemo friend or something like yeah. that. Well, and they brought 100%. up the Avatar. Dude, that was so good. <laughs> uh, right? Like, it, it's like, dude, they brought up Avatar, and then and then the 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 movie. Um, well, because it goes like blue people love it, and then he keeps going. He's like, oh, the anime. Yeah, <laughs> so no, no, no. I, I was one. well, I I was only really referring to the anime. I, I've never seen the movie. <laughs> um, I have too much respect for Avatar: The Last Airbender to go watch the Avatar movie. Um, I was talking about the James Cameron one. I've never seen it. I don't know That's why. A, I, at this point in my life, I don't know why I would. I respect it. I mean, Fern Gully, Smurfs. I'm familiar with both. I don't, you know, I'm good. <laughs> I wonder if Katie's seen. I wonder. Now it makes me wonder, has Katie seen Avatar? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go check and see if she has any, like, write-ins and see, like, hey, have you seen Avatar? <laughs> oh, man. Moving forward. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move into the next and final most important topic. This is called the boogeyman. This is going to take us from the moment where Steven is getting more concrete details or more concrete confirmation that the life that he is suspicious of is actually true. And it all culminates to this moment where we see the supernatural take center stage. So starting with me, I want to start where he comes back from the disappointment of the date. And he is still suspicious of that fish not being Gus. He drops his chocolate on the floor and he finds the scratch marks of the table on the ground. And it further leads him into a hidden compartment in his home. And the thing that I think is so brilliant about this scene is home should be that place you feel the safest. And to have this moment where the one constant that he has this place that he has built up all these securities to keep him in line, to keep him feeling safe, and he discovers that hidden place with the phone and the second life hidden. I've, I've, I feel so bad for Steven, man. I do. I just, I kind of giggled a little bit because you're like, home is where you should feel the safest. I was like, he straps himself to the bed in his home. That's his warped sense of safety. <laughs> <laughs> But can you imagine being no, no, exacerbated I, I, by all these it. measures you've taken and it's not enough? Yeah. Oh, no. A hundred percent. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I get it. So like, well, and, you know, and this was years ago when, when our house got broken into. And that was an experience that, that you've, I mean, yes, yeah, stuff was taken. But the idea that some stranger was going through our stuff and the home no longer felt safe. Mm-hmm. You know, some stranger was walking around, uh, taking our stuff, pictures in the wall, and that didn't humanize us enough to like, oh, wait, I'm taking people's stuff, you know? And so I get completely what you mean is like home should be safe. And next thing you know, it's like the, the secret compartment and the cell phone and all of this stuff. And it's just like, I'd say what's worse, what's even worse is the phone rings. You're holding it and it rings. That was an extra level of scary to me because I didn't quite catch someone was calling him. I thought he hit the green button to call Layla, I think is the name. Yeah. And then you hear the ringtone. It's like, oh my God, there's another phone within the room. So I thought somebody was about to come out. And then on the second one, it's like, oh no, that it was just a coincidence that yeah. the person's calling him right as he's looking. <laughs> yeah. And there was one name different. It was Layla, Layla, and a Duchamp. Duchamp, yeah, yeah. So Layla, 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 Duchamp. <laughs> we don't know a, lo- a lot about Layla. We know she is a very concerned friend. At least that was a lot of missed calls. <laughs> oh yeah, but no. I, I to put a, a another point on why all this is so unsettling in this moment. This really does feel where the supernatural meets the DID because. So much of what this episode is, is it's demonstrating is what that daily life is like for Steven. And then once the, you know, I talk about all the time, the, the, the medium of superhero shows is taking things to the extreme. Then you, you start to see the visual depictions of he's looking in the mirror. The mirror is shaking his head no at him. You start to see the lights flicker. You start to see papers being rustled and thrown about. And this is where we get our first glimpse of that supernatural creature coming down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Oh, that it's, was scary. We are in full superhero territory now at this point. 
Yeah. That was scary. Yes. Like, this is, this is really, really, I mean, again, it's, I get genre wise, but this is really, really scary <laughs> compared to what, like, we've gotten in the, anything else in the MCU. Cause you just, you get that, the religious fanaticism, you get the, that cult feel, the disorientation, the, the thing with the hallway, you know, coming after him. And even there, when he was like trying to get off, um, on the elevator down to the ground floor and it stops and he's like, we're still in the fifth, you know? And so it's like the elevator, as far as I took that, it didn't go anywhere. Right. And so. Well, it, it rerouted almost on its own. Yeah. And so like. Yeah, it it's you know. Well, and then I mean, I know we're not there fully, but I'm I'm going to bring it up is like when Arthur met up with them at uh the museum, right? Or wait, wait, well, that was before. No, that was that was it. Okay, okay, so I had that right. So when Arthur met up with them at the museum and just again that that isolation, lonely, he calls over security guard, wait, you're within this and then he realizes like he's just surrounded by Arthur's people, like, it, it's just really scary the way they're able to put us in that. As an aside, if his knowledge and genuine interest in Egyptian culture and, and, and religion is not enough to give him a promotion, the fact that his stalker follows him to his place of work and he still shows up late at night for inventory, that's employee of the month right there. I know, right? There's no way I would be at work if after I got confronted by somebody like Arthur Harrow who threatens me and then there I am alone doing inventory. I know. But how... <sighs> he deserves a raise. At, at, least, <laughs> at the at very least. least. At yeah. least a raise. <laughs> Maybe tour. You know, he's in, he's in London. Maybe he deserves a blue medal. Um, the, okay. So if you ever go visit like London, the UK, you'll sometimes see tour guides that have like this official blue medal, like, and they're like an official, official tour guide, like official of like the state or something. And they like really know what they're doing and talking about. That's what Steven needs. 100%. I'm going to look it up now. Get this man a blue award. <laughs> Or blue metal. Uh, yeah, the, the blue badge uh, tourist guides. Tour <laughs> guides, yeah. And I only know that from when I was there, yeah. <laughs> you know, jumping back, I, I, to put a final point, for as much as the MCU has been hinting at horror, like we got a bit of it in WandaVision, some of that creepy, unnerving feeling with those early episodes. We've got a bunch of talk about Multiverse of Madness wanting to be a horror film. This feels like that first full step because everything you outlined with the the creature and the, the I guess I'll just call it the religious creature because we don't quite have a name for it yet, I don't think. It's it's unsettling. And I guess I'll, I'll leave it there <laughs> for now. Yeah. Although, no, double check, can't have a blue badge. Okay. How come? Well, as I'm doing more research in it, like, and again, if you go to the UK, make sure you have a blue badge tourist, uh, thing for London and stuff. Um, but his knowledge is more about Egyptian stuff rather than the London sites themselves. So I don't think he would actually be able to get the blue badge because it's more about London and your knowledge of London. Yeah. He might be disqualified on that London. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Don't know why I said that. <laughs> you know. uh, so, yeah. So, you know, we were joking about being employee of the year, but eventually we do see Steven is on his own. He has just completed inventory and he's shutting down for the day. And he hears something that's not quite right. He believes it to be a dog, which apparently aren't allowed in the museum. And he starts to investigate. And this is what really kicks off this final bit of the episode where the super fantastic has taken center stage. We get our first glimpse at what I'm imagining is going to be one of the primary antagonists of the show. The, the almost wolf-like creatures, the way it leads up to, again, I, we've been hammering this. I'm sure it'll be something we hammer throughout the entirety of the series. Reflections seem to be a, a visual language of the show. And 
we see where he keeps walking and we see his reflection in the glass cases. He walks off screen, but the glass is still there showing a different version of himself standing there scared. Uh, we see it where the shadow of the creature is coming in, growling, and the camera slowly pans to his face and you see the reflection of the creature and not necessarily it itself. So I love what they're doing there. And the other shot that I loved is where, again, he's creeping through the museum and the camera gets this like high angle shot of him. And then he turns around and the camera moves and it makes it look like it's not just a shot. It's somebody watching him. Mm-hmm. So there it is impressive filmmaking in this first episode for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and the use of the mirrors in that last bathroom shot where if I remember right, like one side was Mark talking to him through the mirror. Right. So it's like. I, I think it was Steven's left side. I don't remember, but I guess it had to be whichever way he's orienting. But then when that camera spins around and you have the mirror on the other side, you get the feeling like that, like one side is Steven and one side of the room is Mark. Or at least I got that kind of that feeling. But then once it stopped and you had that moment where he lets go, it's like there's multiple of them. And there's almost like, here's an infinite number uh, kind of thing. And it just, it was so well done. Right. Of, of having all those layered, put it that way. For as much work as they're doing with this fractured yeah. personality within the reflections, it is it feels intentional that that is a unified moment where the camera finally centers. You see the infinite versions of himself all, I think for the first time in that scene, aligned within the same visual movements. And then he becomes Moon Knight. Yeah, 100% has to be intentional, I think. Yeah. So what did you think? I know we've seen this suit up within all the marketing but what did you think to finally see it not in a quick cut this is just the entirety of the scene at once i i like the way they kept with the you see the suit and they were able to maintain a level of violence without having to show it because it came out and you know you have this werewolf type thing that's really menacing right and chasing them and as the camera comes down and you see a sink being thrown out and then you see the wolf like trying to escape you know yeah. and dragged back in and then you don't really see the beating because of the cape um so i thought all of that was super well done and you get that reveal and in i think such a way that there's still more to be seen right we we've got like the taste but we do not have the full understanding yet yeah, and that's really a good cool. way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, there was there was a couple of things about it visually, the uh, the the effects, and I'm just like, that didn't look great. Um, to be honest, um, was was it when he was standing up fully and the cape was kind of flowing? No, I, I thought two things. A, when he was on the ground hitting and he had the cape in the back, it looked like more TV show than movie. I was actually, you know, kind of surprised that I got that feeling. Um, but the worst one. Um, and, and take that for the grain of salt, right? It wasn't bad at all, but as the camera pushed in and, and he's standing up and turning around, this is super nitpicking, but the, the water that was like splashing off on the right side of the screen, <laughs> that like just something about it jumped off the screen at me and it like, um, the, and, and, and that's the only reason why I bring it up because, because I like noticed it, like it took me out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was yeah. something about it that just felt CGI. And that's the f- the first time I think in a while that I can remember something in a Marvel movie feeling CGI. Yeah. Um, and again, nothing against the show. Like it just, it, it, I know that, that definitely stood out to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, you know, leading into it, because I, I talked about it whenever we quickly discussed the Moon Knight trailer when it dropped. And I mentioned how I wasn't a fan of the glowing eyes. I don't know if maybe it's just like a placebo thing, having seen it all in one go instead of just like the quick cut of the trailer. It feels like the eyes aren't glowing as brightly as they were in the trailer. Mm -hmm. So it feels a little bit better to me because that was one of the complaints I had in that suit up scene was just there was as cool as the suit itself looked. I didn't like the glowing eyes bit. Uh, It worked for me here. You know what it honestly kind of reminded me of that whole sequence? What's that? It felt very much like the incredible hulk because so often the hulk goes to that well where it's like they go to the absolute last second of like oh no bruce banner hasn't transformed and yeah then they and then cut away they jumped and dove on him yeah 
Yeah, and then the camera cuts away, and you cut back, and he's in the thing, like, handling the situation. Yeah, yeah. So, I like that kind of inspiration for it. Yeah. Well, you know why they fix the eyes, right? Why? Kevin Feige, super fan. <laughs> Man, Trey made such a stink about the truck, we can't piss him off this season. <laughs> I know, right? They, they, they heard our Moon Knight quick react in, in the first part of an episode, and... And we did that, and that's all Trey would talk about, the eyes. So, <laughs> Get on it. <laughs> Listen, man, I like what I like. We are MCU free labor, okay? <laughs> Kevin Feige listens to us, makes the adjustments off the trailer. We called it with the bloodiness of the episode without having seen it. So. That's right. Clearly, we're on the pulse of uh, Kevin's mind. That's right. Kevin listens. Well, I think that about covers it for this episode. Uh, Unless you got any more you want to throw in here before we move on to our listeners' first takes. No, let's see what the listeners have to say. Yeah. So if you don't know, every week on social media, we are going to be putting out posts that will ask what you thought of the episode. It's a great way for you to get a first glimpse of what we thought, our first impressions, the day the episode releases, if not the day after. Uh, So yeah, now we're going to read through some of these. And the first one comes in from Ken on Twitter, and it reads, quote, Great first episode, though I largely feel the same when I saw the trailers. Definitely hooked and intrigued, but still not sure on who, what is Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac is amazing, end quote. And so I did a little bit of editorializing here. Ken totally used shrugging emojis, so that's why I stuttered (laughs) on that part. (laughs) But I agree. I, I, you know, I mentioned on the Twitter account that they definitely... Kind of like what I said, they gave us a first taste, but we don't really have an understanding of everything quite yet. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the other thing. We have this knowledge that they released four episodes to the critics, something that they haven't yeah. done at all. Um, and, and Which if you're not aware of that, be wary when you're out there on the internet. There mm-hmm. a lot of people have four episode knowledge. Yes. You know, they offered us like the entire series and we're like, no, no, we want to be with the people. We'll watch it one at a time. We don't want to get the big hit. Right. I mean, the fact that Kevin listens. He was so disappointed, too. He really wanted our notes. I know, right? Next time. We got to remember where we come from. Uh, Skullface underscore project at Instagram. Just watched it again. I'm all the way on board. Uh, I'm with you. I Like, it, it sounds weird because, like, you want to talk to my friend Sean. Sean asked me, it's like, it's honest question. Do you think that... You since doing the pod, you have a harder time enjoying things, you know, and are you always looking for things now? And, and, and honestly, it's a little bit of both. Like I mm-hmm. try to have the first watch be mine, but this one for sure, it felt more rewarding on that second and third watch. It, it, it's always interesting on that same vein of like, you know, how do you watch it for you? How do you watch it for the pod? And the answer is just multiple viewings. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think you can be all the way on board like Skullface without watching it multiple times. So yeah. This next one comes in from Ben.Matty on Instagram and it reads, It's a very WandaVision start, full of confusion character development and world building that will hopefully pay off later. I'm very excited to see where this goes. And again, that's more in line with kind of what we got here as well as what we've detailed in our notes. We're excited, and we know there's still more to be discovered. So I think that's a good place for this episode to be. Rather rather than the flip side where it's like, all right, we got to figure it out. Episode one. Here we go for the next five weeks. <laughs> uh, last one. This show is deeply unsettling. Something MCU had not done before except WandaVision. Those first episodes where you're watching black and white, happy TV, but underneath it was all ominous. Uh, Moon Knight is clearly darker, and I like it. Friend Daniel, um, and this time it's from the Discord. So yeah, like I'm with you. Like it, it's, I'm really like the comparisons I'm hearing to Wandavision, and Wandavision and Hawkeye right now are my favorite Disney Plus shows. Hawkeye because I just it was such a good story. Love Kate Bishop, love Yelena, and, and all of that. Uh, WandaVision, just because of how creative a swing they took, I just love the concept. And I feel like in the end, or like my pre-spoiler thoughts, that if I think they're doing what I think they're doing, man, in the end, we're going to look back and see just, wow, this was super big swing creative. You know, the thing with WandaVision and something I saw as a common lament as we moved further away from it 
we never quite captured that mystery box feeling. When WandaVision, every week, it was speculation. What's going on? What's happening? What does this mean? Oh, rewatching this and that. Yeah. It, again, only one episode. It feels like we're on the cusp of that with Moon Knight. Right. So, very apt comparison, mm-hmm. both with Ben Maddie and Daniel. Yeah. Well, and the thing where WandaVision edges out everything is there's no other place you're going to get drunk vision. <laughs> well, yeah, that's going to do it for the first takes that we got on this episode. So again, thank you for all those that reached out. It's always a blast to get to read those here on the podcast. And if you want to get in on that, make sure you're following us at MC Need to Know, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we will post our first impressions, which will be the cue for you to join in as well. But we're doing something new this season. Again, we know not everybody is on social media, so we're going to try putting this number out that you can call and leave a voicemail for what you thought of the episode as well. And we'll go ahead and insert those into the episode if we get some. So if you want to leave your thoughts in audio form, you can call the number 512-893-1355. And that will be a great place to share your thoughts. Yeah, looking forward to hearing from people. Yeah, that's going to be so fun. That's something that we want to incorporate more into the podcast, not just with listeners first take, but we're going to dip our toes in the water with this first approach. So be sure to share your thoughts. Absolutely. Stay tuned. Next week, we'll be back with our thoughts on episode two, and we will be joined by the wonderful Yebba Deva. Yeah, and of course, when you get to the show notes and scroll down, you will find the number Trey just said for our voice in call and the link for our Discord where... Join a wonderful community that talks about MCU and a wide range of things. The best thing you can do for us is share with a friend and leave a rating and review, Apple Podcast or Spotify. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on his SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Jude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Yeah, I'll need to redo the outline template, but yeah. Are we putting the number in the show notes? We can. Okay. I'm just curious. We also, because, we also okay. need to double check that that's okay. the number. Just in case I didn't say it right. <laughs> okay. Um, the only reason why I'm asking if we put it in the show notes is because if we are, I'll scroll down. I'll say, you know, when you scroll down, look for the Discord link. You will all, as like when you, sc- you will also see the number uh, for the call in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that number is 512-893-1355. Cool. Yeah. So I got that right. I'd be so dumb if we put the episode out and I read the number wrong. <laughs> and I saw you rolling your eyes at me. You know, it's fu- I know I did. Uh, but you know, it'd be really funny. What's up? Um, if we put the wrong number and some person in Austin is getting these phone calls and they're getting their voicemail <laughs> like filled up with these episode takes. Who the heck is Moon Knight? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to create our first enemy of the show. <laughs> Darn you, MC, you need to know. Oh man. <laughs> okay.